Praise God. We have been rescued. Amen? And if you're lost tonight, you can be rescued. And if you're saved tonight and you're put yourself back under the bondage of some sin, you can be rescued as well. And I'm so thankful for a sufficient Savior. I'm thankful for an abundant grace. I'm thankful for the power of God. I'm thankful for the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And I'm glad I don't have to live the Christian life by myself. And you say, why are you glad for that? Well, because I couldn't. It would be impossible. It's impossible for you to be a Christian without Christ. It's impossible for you to live the Christian life without the indwelling Spirit of God. And um, I'm glad I still believe in an old-time salvation that changes lives. I don't know too much about this newfangled gospel where you can be saved and nothing changes. I don't believe that's biblical. I don't think you're going to find that in the Bible. Everybody that Jesus came in contact with Jesus during his ministry, his life, they left a changed individual. Everybody that Jesus touched was healed. Amen? Everyone that Jesus spoke to was changed when they received his word. And on August 10th, 1995, I not only had my soul saved, but I had my life changed. And I've not been perfect since that day. I'm not perfect today, but I'm on my way. Amen. Amen. I'm going that direction. I'm not what I should be, but I'm not what I used to be. And uh, I thank God for that. If I didn't believe in a life-changing gospel... I'd close my Bible, I'd park the bus, and I'd go home. I'm not interested in just getting a bunch of numbers saying, oh, they got saved. We had this many saved here. That's not what it's about at all to me. I don't even keep a tally of how many people get saved at our meetings. I don't sit down and count and put it in my prayer letters uh, because I'm not saving them. God's saving them. And uh, I'm not interested in numbers. I'm interested in in the souls of men and women. And and there is another gospel. The Bible warns us about another gospel. And it has all the same words, and it uses the same names, but it's not the same Jesus, and it's not the same gospel. And uh, we need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as we find it in the Word of God. Amen? All right, we're going to be in the book of Revelation tonight. Revelation chapter 20. I do appreciate each and every one who's come out tonight. When you have a tent meeting and, uh, and you have uh, rain and thunder and lightning, you always wonder who's going to show up. And, uh, and I appreciate those of you who have braved the weather to be here. The pastor mentioned yesterday morning, following the message, he asked this question, are you desperate? Are you desperate? And uh, 
people might think, well, being desperate is a bad position to be in, but not really, not when you're desperate for God. It's a good position to be in. And um, when when you're desperate, you'll take desperate measures. Amen? And uh, probably your neighbors are thinking, if they know that you're sitting under the tent tonight, well, those are some desperate measures they went to to, uh, to be in that meeting. Hopefully they're also thinking, man, there must be something to that. Amen? And we are living epistles. That's what the Bible says. Uh, that means we're, we're, uh, we're living Bibles. I'm a King James man. Amen. Don't get nervous. Not promoting the living Bible here tonight. But uh, what it simply means is that we are, we are to be living this book in front of the world. And uh, the seriousness of your commitment with God uh, will speak volumes to those around you. And if you're just a fair weather Christian, you're just a fair weather church member that just shows up whenever it's convenient, then they'll know, they'll see that it really doesn't mean much to you. But if you're desperate to hear from God and you'll come out on a rainy night and sit under a tent and dodge the lightning bolts, well, then there must be something to it. Amen? I do appreciate all the visitors being here tonight, and I hope we get a chance to speak to you after the service uh, but if not, uh, thank you for coming, and uh, I want to bring God's Word to us tonight. Revelation chapter 20, if you find your place, if you stand with me, please, if you're able. I have a very heavy topic to cover tonight, but this is the portion of Scripture the Lord's laid on my heart, and so I want you to pray as we do with this passage of Scripture. Revelation chapter 20 beginning in verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. I want to preach about this judgment that we're reading about and this, uh, this time at the end of all time when every individual, small and great, the Bible says, will stand before God. So let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts now. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We're thankful for the blessings of being here tonight. We're thankful for the opportunity to be under the tent. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for your your spirit speaking to our hearts. 
through the time of music, the congregational singing, and the, the uh, special music, Lord. Uh, we have uh, had a visitation from heaven already, and we thank you for that. But now, God, we have assembled here uh, not, not to hear the music, although we've enjoyed it, not to uh, see the folks, although it's a blessing to see one another, but we have assembled here tonight to hear from heaven. And Lord, I pray, God, I pray that you would be pleased to speak to our hearts from your word tonight. Lord, I do pray if there's someone or more than one under the tent tonight who has never trusted Christ as their own personal Savior, maybe they have played the religious game, but they know in their hearts they're not right with you. They've never trusted Christ. They've never turned from their sin and turned to the Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that tonight would be their night of salvation. God, I pray as believers that we would, as we look at this great day, this great judgment that is laid out before us in Scripture, Lord, I pray that we would get a renewed vision of seeing our, our friends, our neighbors, our family members, our co-workers, our fellow citizens, that we would see them, Lord, and have a burden for their souls and do what needs to be done to get them the gospel, to pray for them faithfully, to understand that one day each and every one of us will stand before God. And Lord, I pray now that you would just guide us in this time that we have in your word Lord, I cannot do this without you. I wouldn't even want to try. And so, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Help me to say the things that you want said. Give me the power of your spirit to deliver the message in the way that you want it delivered. And, Lord, may each and every one under the tent hear the voice of God tonight speaking to their hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The book of Revelation is a very um, amazing book, is a very intriguing book in the Bible. If you've read through the Bible, uh, you are probably like me, much of what you read in Revelation, you scratch your head over and say, what is this talking about? Um, and, uh, and, and because of that, I think a lot of times people uh, uh, veer away from this book, but the book of Revelation is just as much the Bible as John 3.16. And it's just as much the Word of God. The Bible says in, in First Timothy or Second Timothy three sixteen, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is what profitable. So that means whether we're in Revelation and Genesis, whether we're in Psalms, we're in Proverbs, whether we're in Ecclesiastes, whether we're in the Book of Job or Ephesians or in the Gospels, or the historical books in the Old Testament. Every, every word of God is pure, and it's all profitable for us. The book of Revelation deals with end times. And I don't know about you, but as we get uh, go further and further into the year 2020, I think more and more about the end of time. There will be a day that will be the last day. And then we'll enter into eternity where time will be no more. Now the thing about time is, even though uh, we seem to look at it as an enemy, 
uh, time is very important because when time ceases to be, then man's opportunity to be saved also ceases to be. On a personal level, when you die, your opportunity to be saved, your opportunity to go to heaven, your opportunity to have your sins forgiven is over. If you've not done it before you die, then your opportunity is past and you are forever doomed to destruction. It's very important that we prepare to meet God because this passage tells us very clearly that each and every one of us will stand before God one day. I don't know if you've ever stood before a judge. I've stood before a judge on a few occasions and even if it's just a speeding ticket, you still get nervous. Amen? And uh, there's something about standing in that courtroom and that judge looking down on you from that bench that puts fear into your heart and uh, gives you a bit of respect and trepidation as you approach the bench. Listen, it doesn't matter what your offense was when you went to see that judge, that earthly judge, whatever was at stake, it pales in comparison to what you'll face on this day. On this day, you'll stand before a judge, but he's not just any other judge. He's not a judge that can be corrupted. He's not a judge that can be bought. He's not a judge that can be bribed. He's not a judge that will turn aside from justice. He is the judge of all the earth, and he always judges righteously. And on this day, you will be judged righteously. And the Bible tells us in this passage just how he's going to judge us. And we'll look at it here in a few moments, the details of this judgment. But I want us to get in our minds tonight the fact that there is a judgment day coming and each and every one of us will stand before God. The Bible makes it very clear uh, in this passage that no one is exempted from judgment, not even the devil himself. If you look in verse number 10 of Revelation 20, the Bible says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Even the devil himself will have to stand in judgment on this great judgment day. And the Bible tells us clearly in the book of Philippians chapter 2, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even the devil on that day will have to bow his knee and he'll have to confess with his tongue that Jesus is Lord. I look forward to seeing that, amen? I don't know where I'm going to be in that throng around the throne, but I want to be close enough to see the devil eat crow. Amen. So I would say it doesn't matter how big and bad and how tough you think you are. You're not tougher than the devil and the devil himself is going to have to kneel before God one day. 
There's several things about this judgment that I want to point out tonight. In verse 11, the Bible says, And I saw a great white throne. First of all, I want you to see this throne. This throne is described as great. This speaks of the power of this place, the power that is sitting upon that throne in heaven. Because the one who's sitting there, the Bible says, from whose face the heaven and the earth fled away. He is so intimidating. He is so powerful that the earth, which has sustained all kinds of evil men, it has sustained all kinds of storms, tornadoes, earthquakes, floods, fires. The earth that has sustained all of those things and come out uh, on the uh, okay will flee from the presence of God as he sits upon this throne in judgment. This throne denotes the power of God. The power of God is supreme. It is total. It's a great throne. It's a white throne, the Bible says. This speaks of its purity. And as I mentioned earlier, God, as the judge of all the earth, is a righteous judge and he will judge righteously. So there will be no loopholes. I don't know about you, but I get tired of hearing about the loopholes in courts. It's a travesty of justice when you know that you have the guilty party in the courtroom, but because someone didn't follow the rules just so, that guilty party walks out a free man or a free woman because of some loophole. But listen, there's no loopholes with God. God knows all the loopholes, and he's removed all the loopholes. Amen? He's a righteous judge. This throne denotes the purity of God. Everything about God is pure. He is of pure eyes, Habakkuk 1.13 says. His Uh, Every word of his is pure. Uh, Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5 says. That is, he's never said an impure word. He's never had an impure thought. He's never been mistaken. He's never been wrong. He's never got the evidence wrong. He's never interpreted the evidence wrong. He's always right. He's always pure. He's always just. And he is the one who is sitting upon the throne in judgment over mankind at the last day. Not only see a throne, but I see this throng that is around the throne. In verse 12, it says, I saw the dead small and great, stand before God. Now, as we mentioned, I believe last night, over and over in Scripture, you will find dead things standing, walking, being able to comprehend. Why is that? Well, it's because we're three parts. 
mankind created in the image of God. God is in three, amen? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and mankind is created in the image of God. So we have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. And until you're saved, your spirit is dead. Talked about that last night. You were dead, you walked in trespasses and sins, you walked according to the course of this world, and here we see that uh, the dead are standing before God, small and great. They're alive physically, but they're dead spiritually. And they stand before God. This small and great, that uh, could mean many things. I believe it does mean many things. I think he's talking about rich and poor. I think he's talking about powerful and weak. I think he's talking about intelligent and not intelligent. Educated, not educated. He's talking about the young and the old. He's talking about whatever nationality you are. Amen? Every person, every man will stand before God. Now, this is not just every person that is alive at the end of all things. This is every person that's ever been born standing before God at the great last day of judgment. We read about it also in John chapter 5. Turn there with me, if you will. John chapter 5. And this is what Jesus has to say about it. In verse number 24, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's that new life we're talking about, that spiritual life we're talking about. That's what he's talking about. Now look at verse 25. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. They that have done good, unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil, unto the resurrection of damnation. He says, all that are in the graves will hear his voice. Revelation 20 says, everyone, every man, small and great, shall stand before God. You're not going to escape this day of judgment. Doesn't matter what you do, you are going to stand before God on this day if you're not born again. Now, if you look, look back in Revelation chapter 20, and I want us to see not only the throng here in verse number 12, but look what takes place. He says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, 
and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. I'm interested in what these books are. And I believe that the Word of God gives us the answer to that question. If you go back to the book of John, go to chapter 12. He says the books were opened, and then there was another book, which is the book of life. And they were looking for the names in the book of life. It's very important, as a matter of fact, it's the most important thing about you is that your name be in the book of life. These other books, though, that are entering into this judgment, it seems that he is using these books. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that the people were judged out of these books according to their works. In John chapter 12, look, at, uh, look with me, if you will, at verse number 47. Jesus said, and if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. This is his first coming he's talking about. Look at verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So what is the word of God? Well, we would say the Bible is the word of God. Amen? And he's saying the words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. We know that our Bible, and Bible, by the way, the, the word Bible means book. That's what it just simply means. It means book. But we know that the, the Bible is made up of many books. There are 66 books within the canon of Scripture. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And I believe, uh, I believe in comparing the Scripture that we come to the conclusion that on that last day, we will be judged, those who stand before God on that day, will be judged by this book right here. Why is that important? Well, it's important because this is the standard that God has given us. This is how we know God. God has given us his word so that we could know him, so that we could know ourselves, so that we could see our need, so that we could see the Savior. And Jesus said on that last day, he's not just going to uh, just... just uh, willy-nilly judge people based on how he feels. He's going to take this book and the books that are within this book and, and, and men and women, and if you're unsaved here tonight and you're there th that day, you are going to be judged according to your works in light of this book. No wonder the Bible uh, calls itself a light a light under my feet, a lamp under my feet, a light under my path. God's word sheds the light and shines the light upon sinful man. And as we mentioned Sunday morning, that's why the world hates the word of God. 
That's why they've yanked it out of our schools and they're trying to take it out of our capital buildings and they're trying to take it uh, out of our families, out of our homes. And they're trying to shutter the churches because the Word of God convicts the heart. God says, Thou shalt not. And when God says, Thou shalt not, something in the heart of man says, Yeah, but I want to. I'll not have this man to reign over me. I'll not have this book to reign over me. And God has exalted his word above all his name, the Bible says. And on that great and last day of judgment, he's going to take out this book and he's going to take your life and he's going to compare your life with this book. And if you've not kept the commandments of this book, you're not getting in. He said, now wait a minute, preacher. I thought we weren't saved by our works. We're not, but we're condemned by them. You see what it says back in Revelation 20? It says they were judged according to their works. Those things in your life that you are sure no one else knows about, God knows about them. Those things that you're sure are not a problem anymore and, and you've covered your tracks well, God sees them, God knows them, and God's going to bring them into account on that last day of judgment. And our works are going to be stacked up against the Word of God. The Word of God that we've already mentioned is completely pure. Can you say your works are completely pure? Not by a long shot. You say, well, I'm a pretty good person, preacher. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty good. You might be pretty good in the eyes of your, your family. I hope you are. You might be pretty good in the eyes of your coworkers or your neighbors. But people's standard of good is so much shorter than God's standard of good because God's standard of good is Jesus. I've heard people say, and I think I understand what they're saying, but I disagree with what they're saying. They say, well, the only, the only sin that sends you to hell is your unbelief, not according to the Scripture. According to the Scripture, you're... you're God's going to judge you according to your works. Your works. Your sin. And it seems like this idea of, of just making sinners not feel so bad about their sin is backfiring on us. Well, the only problem you have is that you don't believe. No, the problem that you have you've got murder, envy, hatred, adultery, lust, and, and malice, and backbiting, and bitterness, and you've got all these sins in your heart, and God sees every one of them, and he will bring them all into judgment on that last day. You say, well, how can I be saved? Do I just stop doing those bad things? Well... Short answer, you can't.
Your own righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. So what work must I do to be born again? What work must I do to be saved? Look at John chapter 6. John chapter 6. There's a great throne and there's a great throng of people. There's this great trial. And this trial is going to reveal the sin in man's heart. It's also going to reveal that man cannot earn his way to heaven. In John 6, Jesus is dealing with the multitudes. And in verse number 26, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. So he's talking about they, they, were, they were out there following Jesus because they got free food. Amen? Others were following him because they wanted to see some miracle. They were there for the show. And he says in verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of, uh, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. See, the work of God is this. How, how can, what work does God require? God requires that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. What can I do? Well, I could join the church. It's okay to join the church, but it's not going to get you into heaven. Well, I could get baptized. Well, the Bible talks about being baptized as a thing we ought to do, but that's not going to get you into heaven. Well, I could give to charity. I could give to the church. I could, I could, uh, I could surrender my, my life and, and spend my whole life feeding the poor. And all of that will profit you nothing unless you, you repent of your sin and you trust in Jesus Christ. You believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. They're worried about what work to do. Jesus has already done the work when he died on the cross and he rose again. He paid the penalty. He took our place. It was our sins that he died for on that cross. Those sins that we stand in judgment of because of the wickedness of our flesh and of our heart. Those are the sins that Jesus Christ bore in his own body on the tree. And now he offers to us eternal life. 
if we will believe on him. That is, place our trust upon what he has done. There's a great throne, there's a great throng, there's this great trial. And the trial brings out the truth. The truth of the matter is, none of us are worthy of heaven. None of us are worthy of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us are capable to take care of our sin. None of us are able to stop sinning on our own. And so, should we go to this judgment alone, we will suffer the fate, this tragedy that follows in verses 14 and 15, where the Bible says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Last night we preached on the second birth. Tonight I want to mention to you and bring to your attention the second death. The second birth is when God rewards your faith by putting you birthing you into his family, being born again. This second death is a tragedy on so many levels. Primarily because no one has to experience it. No one has to experience the second death. It's a needless tragedy. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to spend forever in the lake of fire. Luke 16 tells us what hell is like. And listen, you don't want to go there. Talks about a flame, a literal flame. Darkness, you can't see. There's worms. The Bible says the worm dieth not. And the fire is not quenched. And listen, that's not just a parable. That's truth of Scripture. It's spoken of over and over throughout all, through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Isaiah 65 talks about the horrors of hell. And what makes it so terrible is that people are going, there are more people going to hell than going to heaven. And they don't have to go. It's a needless tragedy. You say, why are they going? Primarily because they will not humble themselves. They're trusting in their own goodness. They're trusting in their own abilities. If you notice in this judgment, in this account of this judgment, everyone who is judged according to their works is cast into the lake of fire. Everyone. Everyone who is judged according to their works is cast into the lake of fire. That means you're not going to make it on your works. 
And the bottom line is this, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Our lives are filled with many things. Events, people, accomplishments, failures, joys, sorrows, disappointments, houses, lands, cars, clothes, jewelry. All these things fill up our time on earth. And all of them are nothing. All of them amount to nothing on this day. The only thing that matters is your name in that book. Is your name in the book of life. That's the only thing that matters. It won't matter how long you lived. It won't matter how much you gained. It won't matter how much people loved you or hated you. None of that will matter. The only thing that will matter is your name written in that book. Well, most people, I think, think I'm a pretty good person. Most people think I'm saved. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Is your name in the book? Is your name in the book? There will come a day when the book of life is opened and the only thing that matters is if your name is there. Like the old song, My name is in the book of life. Oh, bless the name of Jesus. I rise above all earthly strife and read my title clear. I know, I know my name is there. I know Is written there. Do you know your name's there? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the truth. The truth you said will set us free, will make us free. And Lord, I'm thankful that the truth regarding my soul was settled 25 years ago. And I finally, and Lord, you are patient with me, I finally humbled myself and called upon Jesus and was born again. I thank you for that day. If the rest of my life, there was not another good day in my life, at the end of it all, it wouldn't matter.
because I know my name is written there. If you never blessed me again, you blessed me eternally, richly, when you wrote my name in the book of life. And Lord, our concern is that there might be somebody here tonight that they know in their heart, they know, they know their name's not written there. You've made it clear by your spirit. God, I pray that they would take that step of faith tonight and trust in Jesus Christ to save their soul so they don't have to fear this day. They, don't, well, they won't have to tremble before this great white throne and him that sat on it. They won't have to wonder what hell is going to feel like, what separation from God and loved ones and every caring human being would feel like. They could have the peace of God in their hearts that Jesus Christ is their Savior, that heaven is their home, that their sins are forgiven, that they'll never have to fear the sting of death. God, I pray that we get a burden in our hearts, those of us who are saved, for our family members, our loved ones, our co-workers, our government officials. our neighbors. They have a soul that's going to live forever or die forever. God, help us to care. Give us a vision, Lord, an understanding of the importance that their name be written in the book of life. In Jesus' name I pray. Our heads bowed.